Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk all of that bad relationship advice using science. I love the hands. You can't see this if you're not watching the YouTube video, but there was some jazz hands with that science. <laughs> was it my artistic interpretation of our mm. intro? <laughs> of science. science. I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. I'm Dr. Jacob Priest from the University of Iowa. And I'm Dr. Sarah Woods at UT Southwestern Medical Center. Today, Jacob is going to bring us something stupendous and not stupid in popping culture. Then in the academic deep dive, we're going to discuss the academic article, The Language Left Behind on Social Media Exposes the Emotional and Cognitive Costs of Romantic Breakups. Woo! Social media and relationship breakups, a twofer. And then in good or bad advice, we're going to discuss advice found on Twitter and you know it, my favorite, the TikToks. Speaking of advice, if you have any advice you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. You can email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com, tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us at attachedpodcast, or just go to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message. Also, we are on YouTube, so like and subscribe us there. And if you want to see our faces do this podcast, you can watch the video there. And at all of these places, please like and subscribe to our podcast and remember rate and review it as well. But before we get to all of this fantasticness in this episode, how are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty well. So buttons, buttons. <laughs> so actually the two of you know this, but our listeners may not know this. I wrote a book. Whoa. Yay. So, so fancy. Hashtag I know. fancy. I, I'm so fancy. You already know. It actually came out yesterday. If you were listening to this pod on the day it was released, March 31st, it's called The Science of Family Systems Theory. And you page turner. I love it. (laughs) I mean, it's mostly for therapists. It's most, but we do have therapists that listen to this podcast. But if you're just like, you know what? I just need a new book. You could just go like open your Kindle, search for my name, Jacob Priest, or The Science of Family Systems Theory. Or very cool support your local bookstore by going to their website and ordering it through them. Yes, yes. Jeff Bezos doesn't need any more of our money, but This is true. But Jacob does. So <laughs> So if you have to give some to Jeff Bezos in order to give some to me, I'll take it's it. the route you should take. But yeah, it was it was kind of a crazy time to decide to write a book, but it was a fun process. Yeah, check it out. Let me know what you think. It's so That's awesome. Congratulations. That's awesome. Congratulations. I can't wait to read it. Low key, are Sarah and I getting free copies or? Well, yes, because you oh. are acknowledged in the acknowledgement se- section. Oh, are we? Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. I'll frame it. You better. You better cut out that page and like. Just, the one. just that page <laughs> and just highlight my name. <laughs> Adding awesome. it to my CV as we speak. Fantastic. Acknowledgements. Can you add that to your CV? Oh, well, some of us, it's all we once had. <laughs> and so, some of us once did have a CV created entirely of acknowledgements <laughs> until, their, until their advisor was like, well, this is interesting. I love it. And also let's form a copy of your CV that does not include these acknowledgements. <laughs> this one can be just for you. That person shall remain unnamed. 
Unnamed. I wonder who it could be. It was me. It was me. (laughs) Well, congratulations, Jacob. And you guys seriously go out, get that book. Learn about the science of family theory. Systems theory. Ah, learn about the science of family systems theory. There you go. Third time's a charm. Nailed it. (laughs) What's what's going on? I've been busy pre-ordering copies of Jacob's book, (laughs) which... Now I know it was unnecessary. I'm about to get my own frameable copy. So yeah, it's been creating stacks on stacks. It's a great stocking stuffer. I know all of your friends and family would just love right. to open it at Christmas time. So buy it six months, eight save months it. and ahead, save right. it, wrap it up, stick it in people's stockings. They're going to love it. Lysol it, gonna- ship it out. Yeah. I mean, I'm super excited. I have been rearranging furniture in my house, Ooh. which, yeah, I like to shop from my own rooms and just move stuff around, especially when you can't actually go shopping. Yeah. I'm not really sure what it says about me. I feel like I, thankfully I trust Jacob enough not to like analyze the fact that yeah. I spend weekends moving furniture around in my house, what that means. That's but fun yes, hobby. I, have, I mean, I that's a... the least weird trait about you, right? <laughs> oh, Damn. Returning all those books I just ordered. (laughs) Yeah, so I have a bedroom that is now just a room with a couch. And I have, yeah, it's really interesting that I have. It's really interesting. (laughs) My husband thinks it's really interesting. He's busy helping me turn furniture on its side when I realize, oh no, this piece of furniture doesn't fit into this room. And yeah, that's what I've been up to. (laughs) Super fun and exciting. I love I it. You sit in different chairs now in different spaces. So many I love chairs. it. Yeah. yeah. That's Why all not I have. Make your make your space creative and new using the things that you already have. I love it. It's creative. Thank you for that. Thank you for that reflection because that was a helpful way to say what, as I said, it turned out to be really depressing. So no. I appreciate it. Cool. I wish I had the energy to do such things. I usually just prefer to sit down and stare at the walls. So I see your thing that sounded like depression and I raise you. (laughs) That potentially is. (laughs) No, but seriously, I did the, I think most adult thing I've done in a really long time. I bought a brand new washer and dryer for the f- for the first time ever. I am nearly 40 and have never bought a brand new washer and dryer. Oh, it's so worth it. <clears throat> the one we had was a stackable one for like the studio apartment size that I bought used from a friend when I was 25, 26. Wow. And that is the one we have been using for a very long time. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I think this is the first brand new washer and dryer I've ever bought. And he said, me too. So together we did an amazing adult thing. Look at you growing up so big and strong. I know. Listen to these exciting lives we're leading. <laughs> Stay tuned for more in this episode. It's about to get crazy. (laughs) We are wild. Hashtag pandemic wild. Pandemic wild. Buying washers and dryers. If it wasn't the pandemic, the three of us would be in Ibiza right now. You know, (laughs) doing drugs and going to some EDM like raves, right? Uh Uh-huh. And I also love that you did the Ibiza, the Spanish pronunciation of Ibiza. I'm Abisa. so cool. I spent so Abisa. much time. Portugal? Um, I was, no, it wasn't Portugal. Brazil. No, where did you spend time? Yeah, Brazil. 
feed yeah, Portuguese. That, it's a, it's so. a different language. It had nothing to do with yeah, nothing. It's a different language. <laughs> As I said, I don't get out much. <laughs> that reference had nothing to do with me. First up, pop in culture. Which is obviously a segment I don't lead, obviously. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I still can't believe Jacob pronounced Abitha, Abitha. That's fantastic. (laughs) First up, pop in culture. We learn about relationships from our friends and our family. But a lot of what we think about love and relationships come from what we see in pop culture. For this first segment, we take a moment to highlight events in pop culture that influence people's lives and how we view relationships. Jacob. What you got for us this week? That's stupendous, but not stupid. Now the pressure's on. <laughs> so I'm actually, Patricia, returning to one of your and my favorite shows. Like, Zoe's oh my gosh. Extraordinary Playlist. <gasps> I love that show. Sarah, have you gotten on the Zoe train yet? Um, I think I saw part of the first episode. <laughs> I, I think it would be up your alley. Yeah. Okay. I think okay. this, 100%. Is, this is in your wheelhouse. <laughs> Then you're, I'm going yeah. to listen for what that means. Go ahead. Go on. So I know that I've talked about Zoe on the podcast before. I don't know if it was last season or it was this season or early in the beginning. I don't remember. Yeah, I did. I'm sure okay. I did. I trust okay. you. Well, that's I trust good. you. So in season two of Zoe, we have some new plot lines, one of which is Max, Zoe's mm-hmm. friend and sometimes lover, left his job at this big tech company and with Zoe's neighbor and other friend, Mo, has decided to start a new business where you can go to this one restaurant and they allow you to like Grubhub, Postmate, food from all these other restaurants. And so you can order from all these different, anyway, I digress. But what I wanted to talk about today was the fact that Max's dad, who's a really successful dentist on the East coast flies in for a dental conference and wants to hang out with Max. And Max goes through this kind of frequently used trope that sons and dads often, we often see in the movies where Max just really wants his dad to accept and support his dreams. Yeah. And his dad, you know, is like, well, you should have just been a dentist and come work with our family and been successful. It wouldn't be stressful. So, so this reminds me of a song. Which song? Son, be a dentist. (laughs) From from Little Shop of Horrors. No, no, it's not son, be a dentist. It's I'll be your dentist. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. No, I'm not son be a dentist. I thought you were actually gonna pull out the song that he sings on Zoe, which no, no, no. Moving on, you're sticking to what you were saying, Jacob. Yeah. So you know, they when his dad's out there, his dad has done really well. So he invites his dad to hear Max invites his dad to hear a pitch from him and Mo about this business. And his dad doesn't really get it. He's like, well, wouldn't people just want to stay home and order yeah. their food to their house? And how are you going to make money off of this? Blah, 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 which are all legitimate questions. <laughs> but of course, while his dad's doing this, that's when he starts to sing a song. So, right, if you remember about Zoe, she has this ability to see people's emotions and they perform them through song. So this is one of Sarah's favorite songs, I'm sure. Numb by Linkin Park. 
<laughs> the blankness in her face, you guys. Right. And so let me just read you some of the lyrics because I won't sing them for you. I'll spare you all that. But it's right. I'm tired of being what you want me to be, feeling so faithless, lost mm. under the surface. Mm. Don't know what you're expecting of me, but under the pressure of walking in your shoes. Mm. Every step that I take is another mistake to you. Caught in the undertow, caught in the undertow. Ooh. I've become so numb, I can feel you there, becoming so tired, so much more aware. I'm becoming this, all I want to do is be more like me and be less like you. So. As he sings this song, you know, like, I think it's, we're supposed to be feeling like this kind of pity for Max. He's just trying to follow his dreams. And his dad is being like this hard ass who doesn't understand. Later in the episode, his dad comes and says, hey, here's a hundred thousand dollar check. You know, this isn't what I would want to do. But Max, of course, he's like, well, so you don't believe in me? Then I can't accept it. So life lesson from Zoe. If your dad writes you a hundred thousand (laughs) dollar check, you take it. Like you take that check. Like, yeah, that's the relationship advice we're giving here. <laughs> take the check. You're lucky enough also, that your dad could just write hundred thousand dollar checks. Yeah, also, it. dentists make bank. I feel like his dad was right. <laughs> well, <laughs> definitely about a dentist. The, like the second thing I think we often think about when we think about this relationship between disapproving dads and sons who just want this approval is that you know the resolution of this relationship is that the dad will have this huge change and be able to see, yes, I support your dreams and I love you. And I think that's a very simplistic view of what parent-child, adult-child relationships can and should look like, right? If you're two adults and you want to have a good relationship, you're both going to make decisions that you don't agree with frequently. But that doesn't mean that you should say like, this person doesn't love you or support you right? The ability to have an adult relationship with your parents or as parents with your adult kid is be able to disagree and still love and support and connect across those differences, right? Right. As kids become adults, they're going to make decisions that you're, you as parents are probably not going to agree with, right? And vice versa. But that doesn't mean that you need to be like, well, the only type of relationship I have is if my dad can fully accept that I want to start a restaurant business, Right. I think there's a difference when it comes to maybe parts of your identity, right? Like parents who reject kids because of who they love or who they are not on board with, but understanding that you can have a difference in what's a good business investment or what your dreams are and that your parents might think, you know what, that's maybe not the best dream. And that's not them being unsupportive. It's them sometimes being realistic. So when it comes to adult or just Parent. having a different perspective. Yeah, right. Having, having different lived life experiences. Right. So when it comes to adult parent relationships, I think it is often about, we see it in the media on television, like Zoe's extraordinary playlist, that it's like, oh, uh, this dad is so bad and so mean because he doesn't support this crazy venture. No, actually, it's dad making smart business decisions, which as a successful dentist seems that he has done because he has multiple, like, offices and stuff right and so thousand dollars to spare exactly so what i so i think it's just important to understand that real adult parent child relationships have disagreement it's not always just carte blanche support it's about having differences and loving and connecting 
in spite of those differences and also because of them. When we can learn to connect through the difference, I actually think the relationship becomes better and less dependent on approval and more about respect, connection, and love. So check out Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. It's really great. The music is fun. And it's a great way to like see emotions too because oftentimes, you know, we don't really... What is this person feeling? And I and I love the way they're able to demonstrate those emotions. I completely agree. It's a fantastic show. I love what you're saying about emotions. And the song choices are always, oh. to me, spot on. And the reason why they are, unlike Glee and other kind of shows who, that have tried to do this, they don't take the most popular songs of the day. It really is going, sometimes it's really old songs. Sometimes it's newer songs. Sometimes it's Broadway, sometimes it's country, sometimes it's rap. It's just the whole genre. And they do a fantastic job just plucking a song that's perfect for that emotion. I think that there have been very few Zoe's that I haven't both laughed and then like teared up with at the same time. It's just yeah. This last episode, there was a Nina Simone song they picked up oh. that I'd never heard. And I was like, oh, I got to listen to this song now. Because I like we always watch with subtitles. So we actually know who like the, the, song the is. artist is and what the song That's is. So fire. yeah, it's great. I love it. Watch Zoe's for sure. Check it out. Now we're going to move to our academic deep dive segment and talk about a new paper titled Language Left Behind on Social Media Exposes the Emotional and Cognitive Costs of Romantic Breakup, which describes a study done by Sarah Siraj, Dr. Kate Blackburn, and Dr. James Pinbaker at UT Austin, recently published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. This study explores how the language we use may indicate we're about to go through a breakup. The authors point out that breakups are rarely spontaneous and unpredicted by both parties. Even if one person is surprised, their partner may be thinking this is just about done and start pulling back or try to talk to their partner about their problems in the relationship or even start talking about their partner's problems with friends. We don't exactly know how this process unfolds in real time. How do people begin thinking about breakups? How do they reflect on where the relationship is going wrong and that it might be a time to separate? How do they make sense out of their own contributions to their relationships falling apart? This research team suggests we can capture this process through the language people use, that how we think shows up in how we talk, or rather how we post in this case. Because this study analyzed people's language on social media to look for language patterns that might indicate a breakup is coming and that that breakup is lingering as well. So, so cool. So fascinating. Sarah, please tell us more about this amazing study and what they found. Yeah, so first I'm going to try to describe the areas of thinking and language that they looked at to help what they studied make a little more sense. So as you're describing, Patricia, they studied this natural evolution of people's language before, during, and after a breakup. And so what they were looking at is during a breakup, this process of first analytic thinking, which they describe as sort of 
focused on facts and dispassionate, cold, very kind of logical thinking where people lay out their problems in in a pretty reasoned way. And it's this focus on kind of decision-making. And what they describe is that in prior research, when people are thinking that way and focused more on the fact-based reasoning, they use a lot of prepositions, for example, a lot of words that describe the relationship of things to each other. So words like on or at or in, they're describing kind of facts. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And then the second thought process they were were looking at was this cognitive processing, which they describe as kind of working through or this trying to understand why a problem is happening. So that is really this process where I'm, I'm being more introspective. I'm reflecting on the relationship. So what we see more of in people's language when they are doing this kind of thinking, trying to understand why a problem is occurring is a lot of insight words like understand and meaning, as well as causal words like because or results and some self-discrepancy language like would or should, it becomes much more informal and personal and introspective. They also shared that during a breakup, we might see lots of I words. So first person singular pronouns that reflect people becoming really inwardly focused and preoccupied with themselves, as well as potentially higher rates of we words during a breakup as people start to create this narrative about the ending of their relationship. But they suggest Mm. that potentially higher rates of we words during a breakup might also be tied to worse adjustment if that continues, right? Then we're not dissociating ourselves. We're Mm -hmm. not separating our own identity from the relationship, from the couple identity, which makes total sense when you hear them kind of lay it out like that. It's it's really very cool. So they hypothesize that as a breakup occurs, that cognitive processing words will increase. They'll become more reflective and that analytical language will decrease because they're becoming less formal and and the process is more personal as they move towards the actual breakup. And also they predicted that people will use more self-focused words before, during, and after a breakup and use more we language when a breakup first happens, but gradually less as they separate themselves. Although, as I said earlier, if they aren't using less we language, potentially it might be related to worse adjustment to Mm -hmm. the breakup over time. So what they did was analyze text on over 1 million posts from 6,803 Reddit users who had posted about their breakups. So do y'all use Reddit? Yeah. No. You do? Yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> Sarah, I don't, do you not remember the slow blinking cat science that Jacob was talking about? <laughs> several, I forgot several. that it originated from Reddit. Oh, that's where the real science is. You knew it before we did. Jacob is currently uh, slow blinking at us to maybe make us stop making fun of him for that. Go to you. Go to YouTube to watch his demonstration in this yeah. episode. And then uh, smash that subscribe button because then you can see Jacob's it. blinking eyes. So Reddit users don't need to have any personally identifying information. They can just use Reddit apparently in whatever variety they need to. I You're find so the savvy. You're so Reddit. good at this. So, but it's organized in communities that are known as subreddits. Ooh, look at you. Here, we're going to, you're going to have to start doing pop and culture. To be, to be clear, my husband is really into Reddit and I told him, Hey, this week on the podcast, I'm going to talk about Reddit research. Isn't that so cool? And he said, Oh yeah, that is really cool. I said, it's the R breakup subreddit. He goes, Oh, I've never been to that one. I said, yeah. 
for good reason. Like, thank God you've never been to that one. So, so what the, what imagine if he said like, oh yes, I'm very familiar. Oh yes. That one's a dark, deep dive. So they first, they took 1000 random posts from this breakups subreddit to look at the content of what people are typically sharing when they're sharing about the breakups on that, on that thread community. Subreddit. 83% were sharing these rich detailed accounts of their breakup. They're like telling their stories. They're recalling all the pieces that led up to their breakup. They're describing the aftermath. It's like pretty detailed, apparently, when people are using this subreddit to share these stories. So what they did is they pulled 6,803 Reddit users who had posted Mm -hmm. about their breakups. And then they analyzed the linguistic patterns of those users for up to a year before and after they publicly wow. about their breakup on Reddit. So they pulled those users' entire Reddit history, all of their posts in the two years surrounding those breakups on, on every single subreddit, which is how they, of course, get over a million posts because people apparently on Reddit use, use it a lot. <laughs> They're <laughs> chatting it up. So it's not just those relationship posts. And then they analyze those trends for language, those language categories that they're curious about as two-week average scores of Reddit posts across all users in their data set. And all of the users are weighted equally at each time point, regardless of how often they posted. So if you posted more, your language wasn't skewing the findings, if that makes sense for listeners. Mm -hmm. They separately analyzed language within all of the posts that users made, and then all posts other than relationship posts to see if there was any reflection of these changes in the other domains, non-relationship domains. Clever, right? Isn't that so creative? Interesting. And so they compared the language around breakup to the language used one year to four months before a breakup was posted about because there were no significant changes in language at that kind of baseline time point. So they used it to compare language that happens closer to during and after a breakup. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. So overall, what they found was that there were observable changes in these language patterns starting about three months before a breakup was mm. disclosed on this subreddit and lasted up to about six months after. The entire process of the language shift tied to breakup was about nine months, which is a pretty long time because we don't use we don't always I think colloquially depending on kind of the weight of the breakup we talk about it sometimes like it's a one kind of time point right. Thing, right and then sometimes the fallout piece but the leading up to I mean nine months is a long time to see observable shifts in language so what did they specifically find is really cool so as they predicted that cognitive processing language increased as did I words and we words about two weeks before the breakup was disclosed on that subreddit. And it really, they peaked at the time of breakup. What they describe this as is that there's this process that's observable of how people generate narratives about the breakup. So the change in this cognitive processing language, they're using more words to show that they're really working through this big change they're going through. And they're also thinking about their shared identity as part of a couple. The we words they found almost exclusively in relationship there was no change in those other domains that mm-hmm. uh, we use that that we language to talk about the relationship itself. We don't you don't find that when we're talking about other stuff. But the cognitive processing change they did find in posts oh. that had nothing to do with relationships. So what's also interesting is that those changes in those two areas, the reflective piece and the we word language, changed back to baseline within a month after breakup disclosure. Huh. Wow. I words were significantly different from baseline for 10 weeks after disclosing the breakup. 
Meaning there's this process that shows that potentially we stay focused on ourselves for much longer than maybe we stay focused on kind of the processing of that breakup, which is really kind of interesting. I don't, I don't know what that, what that means, but I think it's, I think it's very cool. So as predicted, they also found that the analytic thinking that factual kind of cold reason, logic-based thought process dropped about one month before disclosing the breakup. They're done thinking about this logically and they're moving more into this like reflective, introspective Mm. piece, right? So, and that stayed significantly different from baseline until three and a half months after breakup disclosure. So overall, people's language became really personal and informal and introspective, even when they were not discussing their relationships. These patterns were found even when they excluded all of their relationship posts, which is very cool. You can observe these changes and how it, how changes related to separating from our relationship are observable in all these other areas of our lives as well and how we talk about them. It's really very cool. It's just oh. proof of how important relationships are in our lives, isn't it? That even if influence. we're not conscious yes. of it, it's pervasive in our other thought processes, our other content and how we talk about things. And no, there's, I was going to say, there's a theory that talks about it. I think it might be called family systems theory. I, I think <laughs> maybe if people are interested, they could read a book about it. I don't know if you oh all heard God. any good books about it, but just throwing that out there. No, I I haven't. Can you tell us one? Well, there's this new one that just came out. Yeah, yeah. Tell us, please. uh, Called The Science of Family Systems Theory. I mean, the author, I hear, is pretty great. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. The author. But tell us about the acknowledgement section. Oh, well, the acknowledgement section is is about these two incredible women that the author (laughs) hosts a podcast with podcast with and also does a lot of research with and he says about mm-hmm. how important the sharing of ideas and the debate back and forth that they have was to the book so just well, if if amazing. listeners will notice jacob's use of eye language never changes from its baseline of very high <laughs> With the returning to our academic deep dive, with these, what these researchers also did that was really cool. So they subsampled the people who made more posts on that breakups subreddit. So if they made posts about their breakup for five or more days, they compared them to people who made posts for fewer days, potentially reflecting that it. They're just potentially needing to kind of process this a little bit more. Maybe it's indicative of they're having a more difficult breakup. They're, of course, we're not sure, but what did they, what they found was that it took significantly longer for those users to return to baseline language values after breakup. So the more processing they're doing in that subreddit and telling this story of their breakup they're going through. Yeah. It's potential that they are they are less well adjusted for a year after, or there's something about the fact that their language just doesn't return to baseline as yeah. quickly as other users. It has a bigger impact on their life. Also compare these posts to people who posted about a divorce in the r slash divorce subreddit, which oh. I also should ask my husband, oh. make sure he hasn't been there either, actually, <laughs> now that I think about it. So the breakups is not like marriage. It's it's like just relationship. It can be. I think it can be both. Oh, I see. But the divorce would be specific to, 
I imagine people who are posting about their divorce. I don't think there's a lot of rules to Reddit. I, I went to the site to try to check it out. It's chaos. It's utter chaos. <laughs> Actually, each sub Reddit has their own set of rules and the posts oh. are moderated by the moderator. So before you can post, the moderators will go through and make sure you're meeting all the rules. So if like somebody posted about their breakup and they were not married and were trying to do it on our divorce, they would probably say, oh, this is actually a better fit over here and we won't let you post this. Yeah. Oh, so it feels like chaos, but actually it's quite controlled. Mm. Well, if that tells you about where I should be posting, it's maybe this r slash off my chest subreddit, which is also a comparison group they used. So they were looking to see if divorce as a maybe a different kind of separation and posters who posted in this off my chest, like venting kind of emotional upheaval generally on that subreddit might show some of the same language shifts. I can't imagine how much data these researchers went through. It it's so, so much. Cool. So they use the same methodology to explore those users' posts, and they found similar patterns in language change for users in these communities, meaning potentially what they're they're oh. looking at is that emotional upheaval, these big changes we go through yes. in our lives, are reflected in changes in how we speak, which is amazing that's so, really cool i mean i think and i think it's particularly fascinating because this is not just like off the cuff conversation with somebody right this no. is taking the time to write out paragraphs of stuff so it's mm-hmm. so much more embedded these language changes are so much more embedded than you would think because you know presumably people are writing it then maybe reading over and editing their stuff. Maybe not. I don't always do that. It it still takes more time and effort to type out something, right? Than to just say it off the cuff. So Mm -hmm. that's also really fascinating to me, how ingrained these changes are. Yes. No matter what subreddit they are posting on, and no matter what moderator looks at their posts, I don't really know about that piece, but I think an important takeaway as, as kind of, I think, Patricia, you've already highlighted is that our relationships have huge impacts on our lives mm. and they, to the point where they change how we talk in pretty dramatic ways, how we, how we speak through what we write on social media. And even when we're not talking about our relationships, what I think is kind of an interesting idea is these Reddit users who shared about their breakup for more days actually had shifts in their language that lasted for longer, potentially reflecting that it was more painful and impactful. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we ask people to recall the details of these breakups, Mm. like generally in our relationships. I think sometimes we, sometimes therapists have a tendency to do that, to kind of encourage like journaling or expressive writing about painful events. That's something I don't do as a therapist because I, I get concerned. It's, it's not very structured and I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure it's productive, but I think there is research evidence to suggest that sometimes it can be helpful in processing trauma. This makes me kind of curious about in which, in which situations, when and how, and what kind of structure we give to that to make sure it's productive and not just overly kind of focused on negative, painful events, Mm. but also that during breakups, we might need social support. So if Reddit is kind of this community oriented social media organization site, website, oh my gosh. (laughs) So young and so cool. It's a it's potentially showing that when people are going through this process, they they might need to be sharing about that. And also that that process lasts a long time. It's not this kind of one day and done or one nodal event and over that they might need support before, during and after. And they're using social media to express that. But how how 
intentional can we be in our relationships, knowing that somebody may be separating from a partner and checking in with them and also attending to how that is maybe showing up and shifts in other areas of their life. It's not going to be contained to just that breakup, just that marriage, just that off my chest topic, right? It's affecting other areas of their life. So I think we talked at the end of last season about expressive writing that found that the use of more we language in writing about our relationship shows we're a little bit more connected and interdependent. This is kind of this interesting um, contrast in some ways that as we start pulling away, do we start returning to some of that I language and focused on ourselves? And maybe in some ways that's appropriate, that that is how we differentiate from that couple relationship after that relationship is over. So I think I think it's just another opportunity to think about how we show up in our relationships and how we can be really intentional listeners because we can potentially understand how people are feeling and what they're going through, through the words that they speak. So did you reference that paper from last season just because it was my girlfriend who wrote it and you're bringing up the breakups and you want me to process it right now? Is that what, is that what we're doing? Yes. I can't understand Reddit, but I can understand dark demons and uh, <laughs> just bring it, bring it back to your pain in case you wanted to journal verbally about that on the podcast. I, I mean, the only way- It was I'm all gonna, about you, Jacob. It you want to know how I journal you. when I broke up? It was listening to Dashboard Confessional and screaming along with Chris Caraba, please tag him in this, at the top of my lungs. I, I, don't I know can't help you with any of those that. pop culture references either. <laughs> But I'm glad it was helpful for you. It sounds I'm, like it was fruitful and yeah, I'm it glad was. I'm totally over it. I'm I glad mean. you've successfully <laughs> processed through that relationship and are happily married with a son. So yes. congratulations. <laughs> Your language is totally back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! Boo! Finally, time for good or bad advice, where we talk about pervasive relationship advice in our culture. We hear about relationship advice from parents, families, and friends. We see advice about how to be in relationships from movies and TV. And we read endless advice spewed at us on all the social medias, blogs, and numerous top 10 lists. But a lot of it just isn't actually good for our relationships. This is the part of the show where we use science, mind you, to decide if the advice is good or bad. If you have seen or heard any advice you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. Email us at attachpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us at attachpodcast, or go directly to our attachpodcast.com website and send us a message. While you're at it, please like and subscribe, rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast app or YouTube and share it with your loved ones. You know, they are really into it. Today, we are going to talk about some advice found on Twitter and the TikToks. The first bit of advice comes from a post Jen Bishop shared in her stories from Alexander James. Alexander James at drunk scribe is his Twitter handle. Some years back, my wife and I got into a habit of asking each other, do you want comfort or solutions when the other was having a bad time? That one sentence can save us from an argument 
nine out of 10 times. So asking directly, do you want comfort or solutions when the other one is having a bad time? Good or bad advice? I say good advice. It's good to check in and see what your partner needs. The one caveat I would add yeah. is that there might be times when your partner is so emotionally dysregulated, they can't really know. And so most of the time I would err on the side of support, right? When yeah. people are like, if you ask that and they're like, I don't know what I need right now. They're actually telling you they do need support. It's not going to be all the time we're going to be available to say, actually, let me be level-headed and say, I want solutions right now. Sometimes we're just going to have a really bad day and we're going to need to vent and offering that support kind of as the default. And then maybe as things subside, checking in and say, do you want ideas or do you want support is good, but just know that the default should probably be support and listening, you know, but good way to check in, I think. So, so good advice. Good advice from Jacob Woods. Absolutely good advice. I agree with Jacob that it is a really excellent question to get clarity about how can I show up best for you? What do you need from me? Because a lot of times we could go either way, but I think in relationships, especially maybe in couple relationships, but I don't know that it's limited to like romantic relationships. We err on the side of advice. When I would, when I would probably say that most of the times people are not looking for solutions. It's not that I'm coming to you to share this because I genuinely don't know or understand what to do next. That would be maybe more clear, but either way, I think it's a really helpful question to get clarity about what would you like me to do next? So I don't show up for you in a way that's like really wrong or off base and then kind of push you away or hurt you further or et cetera. But I also agree with Jacob that even if you're at, even if you're about to make advice or discuss solutions or share some of your ideas, your own reactions, et cetera, beginning with empathy is always a good idea. And I would say that your advice or solutions and reactions can't even be heard necessarily if you mm. don't show up first with comfort Love and empathy. Like so either way, always show up with the support first and then get clarity about what do you need from me? So good advice overall with the caveat or addition of lead with empathy and support. Mm -hmm. Next, we have a definition from at Sarah Smith 23. The definition, the word is pandemic fine. It's a noun. A state of being in which you are employed and healthy during a pandemic, but you are also tired and depressed and feel like trash all the time. Maybe it's not exactly advice, advice. but thoughts. I think bad just, definition. I think I'm just going to need you all to give me support and empathy as I talk through this. Go on. <laughs> I mean, I think that's how people are feeling, right? Right. You know, when I'm talking to my students and I ask them how they are and they, you know, like the typical reaction is like, oh, we're fine. I'm good. It's like, are you sure? Like, cause I think at this point, the level of stress we've all been carrying, even if we are still fortunate enough to be mm -hmm. employed, have support around us, mm -hmm. all of that stuff, it's still a lot. I mean, and I know that there are others who have been inf infected, lost loved ones to COVID and are struggling even more in a broader scale. I think we're all feeling the weight of this pandemic. And so pandemic fine really is that sense of, burnout, mm. stress, 
hardship that we're all collectively experiencing, even though the variability of that might be different and there may be some people who are pandemic not fine. Which is also fine to be pandemic not fine. But I do like phrasing it that way because it shows that our level of fine, of being okay, has shifted in that pandemic and what that means for all of us. It's it's good to highlight that. Yeah. So good advice. I like good. That. Yeah. Like the woods. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it feels to me like a way that we answer a question. Like, how are you? How are you doing? Like, I'm fine. Even if you said fine in a regular year, right. it would probably be a little bit of a flag. But we are now, our, our bar has lowered so far that now when I have people say, oh, I'm doing good. I sometimes often now follow up with a question about, is it the good that you want me to like, do you want me to ask more questions here? Or do you want me to just kind of pretend that you are good and we should move on because I think now it's sometimes this experience of it's so consistently insanely stressful Mm -hmm. I don't want to open people up just through kind of our first check-in even though clearly your pandemic fine is screaming at me you're not fine and clearly I have picked up on that do you want me to open you up further (laughs) or do you want me because I'm the way you just said that makes me (laughs) Makes me concerned, but also it's a, it's a daily occurrence now. So, so yeah, I think it's not necessarily advice, but it does feel pretty accurate. It feels accurate. And so overall we're saying this is a good definition, but what I think I particularly like about it is just the collective, whenever you define something and you, at the collective agreement, collective understanding Mm. that this is different than Mm. what we have always expected or tend to experience and we're collectively not doing well, we're collectively Mm -hmm. pandemic fine. It also gives a sense of relief or Mm -hmm. a sense of understanding when, and without having to have a big conversation about it. Okay. We all get it. We're all pandemic fine. I appreciate that. We can take a deep breath and try and, and move forward. I like that about this as well. This <laughs> next one is from Justin Bishop on TikTok. He talks about three things to know before you have kids. So he lists, he'll list three things. So we don't necessarily have to go through all of them, but just so you know, they're going to be three of them. If you can't do these things, you don't need to have kids. If you are not prepared to live the next 18 to 20 years with a miniature version of yourself, do not have kids. You would think that shit would be awesome but it is not. It has its moments where it is pretty cool throughout the year. 99% of that bitches you arguing with a version of yourself. The smart ass version with extra not give a fucks. Number two, if you cannot answer every random fucking question on the planet within 1.7 seconds, do not have kids. Be aware that when you do not have an answer for this fucking question that you will be asked repeatedly for the next two hours. Number three, be fully aware that it will be at least a decade before you can take a shit by yourself uninterrupted again. There will be no more sitting here playing Candy Crush or whatever the heck. There will be no more sitting here watching highlights of fights or football. From now on, all you will do while shitting is the first two that I mentioned. Welcome to parenthood, bitches. Obviously, some like crass, but I absolutely adored it. Thoughts, good or bad advice? I think the first thing we have to remember is that there are a lot of, a, a big number of pregnancies, even in committed relationships that are not planned. Yeah. So when we're talking about like <laughs> thinking through what you should do before you choose to have children, 
there's going to be people who are going to be like, oh, well, we kind of wanted a baby and we're pregnant now, so let's go for it. But I do think that frankness, that a little quasi-pessimism is really (laughs) a good message in some ways to have out there because often I think that the message is that parenthood is wonderful and great all the time and you're going to love it. And I think it comes with good and bad things, right? I've only been a parent for about 10 months now, ton of experience. But I do think that like, there's times when I'm just like, oh, I just need like 10 minutes to myself. And there's other times where like, I wouldn't trade this for the world and there's space in between. So knowing that being a parent is a mix of all of the above, as opposed to just great joys and the most wonderful and blessed thing on the earth and just terrible shitty it's never gets better and knowing that in between there's all of that i i think that creates a more realistic view of what parenthood is and a better way to cope with the process because i mean sometimes it feels like 10 months has gone by really fast and others is like you oh, felt every I, one of those days yes exactly yeah. exactly so <laughs> i uh, like i don't speak to the specifics that, that he's saying there because i think that those are more for comedy and and just you know those things happen but i do think that there is value in seeing all aspects and being able to share all aspects and all emotions that are tied with parenting. So good advice. Good advice. Woods? I think it's good advice. I agree that I don't think it's a reason to not have kids, but I do think that I that description of being a parent resonated very powerfully with me. Which one in particular? All of it, the whole thing, (laughs) all of it. My child is very much a, she's much smarter than me. Her her sass level is so high. (laughs) And then I also have to realize like, there's no place, especially because in the last year, she's been no place else. Her sarcasm is a direct reflection of our sarcasm. (laughs) She is, she has the ability to be quick on her feet and like cut you at the knees. I'm like, where did you get that? I'm like, oh shoot. I think that might be me. Yesterday, (laughs) yesterday for the first time in, I don't know how long I suggested, I think you're going to need to do thinking time because her SAS level was just so high. So I said, why don't you sit here? I'm going to take a step away. I'll be back in five minutes. Like we will, we will reconvene. We came back together. I said, okay, so why don't you share with me what you were thinking about while, while you were sitting here? So I was thinking about how I was very disrespectful to you. And I said, were you really thinking about this? (laughs) No, I was thinking about about playing Mario Kart. I said, good, good night. What? It just, she stares right in your eyes, straight to your soul. So I think this is an accurate so experience, but I also think you end up fiercely loving that tiny miniature version of yourself. And every time she asks me the same question three times in a row, I both am like, are you kidding me? I'm thinking, I can't even think that fast. And also thinking, damn, she's going to get what she needs in this world. So I love that TikTok. That was great. Fantastic. Hilarious. Good advice. And also generally to be able to be so frustrated and also be able to laugh and find humor in the situation and sometimes ridiculousness of parenting, such as not being able to go to the bathroom by yourself and finding humor in that I think is fantastic. And I think generally will serve him well. And I'm sure he's a fantastic parent. So next, we have advice from Nurse Hadley. I just received the most eye-opening email. I've been collecting advice from older people about what they wish they would have known when they were younger, and you have to listen to this one. 
One year into being a lawyer, I knew with 100% certainty that I hated being a lawyer. I went to my friends and family and they all told me the same thing. You just spent eight years going to school to become a lawyer. It would be so stupid to quit now. So I didn't quit. I spent over 50 years practicing law, 50 miserable years. It could have only been one miserable year, but I made it 50. My advice, don't continue to do something that makes you unhappy just because you've invested time into it. Advice from an older person through Nurse Hadley, good or bad advice? So I think what they're talking about there is kind of known in psychology as the sunk cost fallacy, this idea that because you've Mm. put so much time and effort into something that you have to stick with it, which is not always the case. I also think that we need to acknowledge that the flexibility of thinking, oh, I could change jobs after this big investment is also a marker of privilege a little bit, right? Like, and we're not always all going to be able to live out our dream jobs because sometimes we have to provide for those people who are important to us so we can eat, have a roof over our head. And that may not be something we love, or so, pay back the student loans you had to take out in order right, to go for to sure. that much schooling. Yeah, right. Like, I think the the burden of student loan was probably different if this, this guy's been practicing for 50 years than it yeah. might be currently. <laughs> so I think that, A, yes, sunk cost fallacy is good advice. Recognize when you feel like you, if you've invested something and it's really not working and it's, it, it may be good to get out of that. And also recognize that sometimes we don't have that ability there might be things that we are stuck in because of whatever factors that are going on in our life that we might not really enjoy, but we have to do. And that doesn't mean that your life has been a waste just because you Mm -hmm. don't enjoy Mm -hmm. everything you do, right? There's some people, you know, like, oh, find the job that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Well, also like you can have your job and then leave it and then engage in those things that you love. So Sunk cost fallacy is good advice, but just remember that when you're giving that advice sometimes to recognize the privileges that you might have in order to not kind of invalidate somebody else's experience. Mm, I really like that, Jacob. Good advice with, of course, that caveat of recognizing privilege. Woods. Yeah, I love Jacob's response. I um, I fully agree. I think it's sunk cost fallacy would have been where I went also. And I think if we apply that advice to relationships, sometimes it is exactly a problematic process that keeps people in relationships when they should be exiting. We've talked about that research before on this podcast that people's thought process sometimes takes so long and they stay in a relationship even long after they know that they should end it because of all of the time they've spent together and the commitment that they've built in the relationships that they share and these sunk costs are what keep them in a relationship that they should end. But it also is sometimes what keeps you in a relationship through what is really challenging times. And you don't necessarily end up regretting the fact that I have a lot put into this and I've spent so much time and effort. And I, even though it's hard right now, it will be worth my sustaining it and working on it, even if it's not enjoyable for the short time being, because on the other side of that, we can work to make this relationship better and we can become closer. And relationships are not linear trajectories and relationships are not consistently high, positive, full of love and excitement. And our friendships aren't like that. Our, our family of origin isn't like that. Our romantic relationships are, that's just not how relationships happen. So work, I think, yeah. Right. So I think there is a decision-making bias that can happen. And 
sometimes the really tricky, messy part of relationships is sorting out when you're making those decisions, when is it time to cut and when is it time to end and when it's time to set a boundary and when is it time to stay in and, and just sort of sustain ourselves through this really hard period. And that's not an easy decision. There's no, um, there's no amount of research that's going to give anybody a clear cut answer about that. So anyways, <laughs> good advice. advice, but I also, here's the other thing, right? That person is giving retrospective advice as what did she say? Geriatric patients or something. She said older, but yeah. Older. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, 50 years in a law practice. I don't, I guess, yeah, I guess I don't know how, how old, but I think when we take away people's lifespan horizons, when they think that they have less time left, they're, they're retrospective thinking about what I should have done with my life. And that sunk cost fallacy mm. is totally different. It's right. this idea that if you got a terminal diagnosis and I'm going to die in a year, am I going to continue to do today and what I have done for the last 20 years and go to the shitty job that I hate every single day for the next year? And that's how I'm going to spend my last year. Research would not suggest that that's how people would want to operate and prefer to operate. If, right. So the perspective that you're getting from this <laughs> geriatric patient <laughs> may or may not apply if you are 29. Right. Well, and also what you're what you were talking about in terms of relationships that sunk cost can be problematic, keep you in relationships that are unhealthy, but it also can be good because it helps you maybe maintain some of the rough spots through a relationship or through whatever rocky situation you're in to get on the other side and and really develop it. The, the problem is that we don't know, right? We mm-hmm. don't and when we're in the moment, we don't know is this a short-term thing? Mm-hmm. Short-term maybe being a year, two years, five years, whatever, or is this a rest of my life thing? Mm-hmm. We don't, mm. we don't know. And what this gentleman, this older gentleman, this geriatric gentleman is saying, it has the privilege of knowing yes. is the history that he didn't like it the whole 50 years where if we're in the middle of it, you never know. I mean, sometimes I freaking dislike my job. Like I really, really, really don't like it. And I think I want to change and I go on like US gov jobs and start searching jobs and all of these things. And then something happens and I have a wonderful conversation or something tweaks in my academic life and it's fantastic. And I feel very proud of the work that I'm doing, but those ups and downs, I won't really know if it's a net positive until I'm this guy's age. And have had 50 years of a successful private practice that allowed him to give $100,000 checks to his son's restaurant startup today. (laughs) Did I get, did I get back to the start? Nice, nice circle. Okay. So overall good advice, but with many caveats of perspective of privilege and also, I, I like the idea of recognizing that sunk costs can sometimes be a positive and not a negative. In our life. And at those point, they're not sunk, right? They're actually good costs that are going to keep mm-hmm. us committed. There you go. I love it. So the next one is on TikTok as well. You guys know. At Earth is not my home. Love that handle. What has someone said to you that will stick with you forever? Never make fun of somebody's laugh or smile because that's how they express joy. Like, that shit really hit me. Yeah. 
So that is uh, like a trend that's going on TikTok now. You, people ask something and then a ton of people, you know, stitch it and, and, and give their response. But hers particularly was, do not ever make fun of someone's laugh or smile because that's how they express their joy. Jacob, good or bad advice? Great advice. I don't have much more to add than that. I think that if we're doing that, and I, I almost think that that's something that women probably experience about how they're expressing emotion to try to, I don't know, just maintain the patriarchy for lack of a better phrase. But I really think that everybody should have the ability to express joy and happiness in the way that, that they want to. And so, yeah, never make fun of somebody's laugh or their smile. Good advice. Good advice. Woods? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I think that joy is also contagious. And so if what you're doing when someone is experiencing joy is analyzing their facial expression rather than delighting in it and analyzing Mm. it for how I can contribute to it or experience it myself, because, oh my gosh, how fun and exciting that they're this happy, then something is not right. And you should probably spend some time being more introspective about why that's where your head goes. There's nothing more delightful than the fact that people laugh differently all the time. I have an aunt who laughs, who when she laughs at something super funny, her head goes all the way back. She laughs so hard. I have seen her many times in my life hit her head on walls because she laughs so enthusiastically with her whole self. And the only thing that you can experience when you watch that happen is joy by proxy, right? So yes, fully agree. Great advice. Yes, don't make fun of someone's laugh because it's how they express joy. Good advice. Additionally, if you see somebody laughing and experiencing joy, feel free to jump in, join along, join, a, join along. Join joy in. is hard. <laughs> joy is hard right now. <laughs> how does joy happen? Joy. No, I joy. joy. No. You are having joy. Can I have joy too? <laughs> I need joy, please. Can I? Um, But you get what I mean. In addition to not making fun of them, feel free to join in and have fun and laugh along with them. This is how humans experience life together once we are (laughs) post-pandemic and less robotic. Oh, that's what that is. That's what it is. Yes, that's right. Once we're less pandemic, fine. And more actually like, hey, yeah, this is fine. (laughs) Sorry. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Anyway, as always, thank you for listening to Attached. Remember, call us, email us, or get at us on all of these social medias about relationship advice you've received and that you're wondering whether to follow or pass on. We cannot wait to talk about it.